Hello, and welcome everyone to Sacred Balance. I'm your host, Jui Rami. Sacred Balance is a special space created for seekers where we come together to explore deeper dimensions of life and share spectacular stories of people who are avidly seeking that balance while thriving and tasting magic of life and all its possibilities. So come join us and together, let's make it happen. If you look at the world as various reverberations, then silence is the basis of everything. If you look at the world as various forms, then formless is the basis. If you look at the world in terms of measurements, then limitless is the basis. If you look at the world as something or everything, then nothing is the basis. This formless basis of creation is the formless divinity. Our guest this week is Robert Tellerico. His journey as youth, struggling with paralyzing anxiety to fit in with peers, and transformation towards tasting the magic of freedom within is one truly worth sharing. Hello. Hey, Namaskaram. Namaskaram, Robert. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I wanted to welcome you to our Sacred Balance podcast, and we're super excited to have you on the show today and looking forward to talking to you about so many things. I'm, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to be on. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to diving into this and, and seeing where the conversation goes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> So to get started, um, I wanted to start from the very beginning. Um, so you're a young man. And so let's begin uh, with talking a little bit about your childhood. So when I was young, I remember playing outside, unlike many kids right now who live in urban areas and are not allowed to play outside for safety or many other reasons, especially in the current moment of um, pandemic and all. Mm-hmm. And I also remember getting my first cell phone in college in the 90s one of those flip ones remember mm, <laughs> i don't think you yeah. were <laughs> that was like that was right on the the cusp of when i was entering uh teenage years so it was, it was pretty much over by the time i was <laughs> i was i was eligible to get a phone from my parents actually oh see you're so very lucky and and, and then finding Sadhguru much later in life unlike you so it's so touching to see so many young people like you being gravitated to Sadhguru and, you know, his YouTube videos right now, you know, all these young people are watching. So your generation is very lucky because so much exposure to technology helps you find Sadhguru much earlier and much Mm -hmm. faster than my generation did. But your generation also has much more exposure to like cyberbullying and many nuisances and distractions that the technology brings in which we never had to deal with. Uh, We were just playing outside in the dirt or going into the Mm -hmm. nature. So how do you feel as a young man finding Sadhguru so much earlier in your life? Can you tell us a little bit about how your journey began and how it has brought you where you are in current moment? How old were you when you found Sadhguru? Let's start with that. I was, I think, 19 or 20 when I when I found Sadhguru mm-hmm. and um, 
well, two years back. So no, I was I was twenty years old when I when I found Sadhguru, and uh, just going back, like I had a pretty good childhood. Like nothing really inherently wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I have a shelter. My parents they like always fed, always. Uh, you know what I mean? I have a I have a bed at home. I have clean clothes, mm-hmm. food, everything yes. like survival completely covered, right? Mm-hmm. And still there was just i don't know for some reason i always felt like there was difficulty fitting in with the crowd around me like i had two three immediate friends but then there was always this this need to um you know have the the coolest hat and have some new shoes and yeah um try to fit in with the crowd and and maybe like even you know there's always with with teenagers and with kids it's always oh i have the the prettiest girlfriend that i have you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like Definitely. if you're if you're if you're socially you know if you're socially fluent you're able to speak well with other people and yeah. you're one of the popular people then it's then it's like a social status like you're really cool and, and everybody Absolutely. likes you mm-hmm. that was the desired thing before but um I don't know I was just I was never really that image I, I tried to wear you know all these different things like I remember buying uh these hats called snapbacks and um it was nothing ever. I, I grew up wearing just regular shoes that my mom would buy me, and I, I didn't care as mm-hmm. long as I could run around and you know catch bugs and yeah. you know, play in the grass, just be a kid. It was okay with me. But then after there was that need for okay, I have to buy um, Jordan shoes mm-hmm. and I have to buy um, uh, different these hats. Like maybe there will probably be a small group of people that that know what I'm talking about. But there's mm-hmm. like hats called like Tisa um, by a rapper named uh, like Tyga and uh, there's a rapper Drake and there's just different there was different brands that I was into at Mm -hmm. the time based off of what was popular within I guess the hip-hop scene or um, just what kids were generally interested in at that time Mm -hmm. and I don't know it just never really worked out in the way that I thought it would like Mm -hmm. I would buy all these things and still I would feel okay I'm not fitting in Um, yeah I would get fun of actually even more than I would before because then I guess people could sense how hard I was trying to fit in. And it was kind of that vulnerability that I was allowing um, for other people to see and, and yeah. kind of you know pick up on. Yeah. And I don't know, this, this went on for some years. This went on actually well into high school as well, where mm-hmm. uh, it actually kind of intensified. It got a little bit more crazy instead of, you know, buying replica items like I was in in elementary school I started to buy really expensive pieces of clothing like there's the uh, Louboutin red bottom shoes which are like a thousand dollars I would I Mm -hmm. I bought a pair of those shoes and like um, different shoes there's brands called uh, one brand called Balenciaga another pair of shoes five hundred dollars I would pay for like a belt five hundred dollars just various different pieces of clothing and at that time it was actually a little bit different because once I was doing that I started to get um social recognition like Mm -hmm. I started I I I couldn't afford those things I had a line of credit that I got because I was working at the bank Mm -hmm. but I I was kind of reckless with my spending and I ended up um essentially just yeah spending way too much money thousands of dollars on pieces of clothing yeah and um I don't know. It worked for some time. I felt good. I felt like on top of the world. I felt 
I felt a sense of, oh, I'm, I'm better than everybody else and kind of this, this cocky attitude. And it, mm-hmm. it, was, it was working for me for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But then, I don't know, it just something seeped in again. You know, that feeling that I was talking about, it, it somehow it just kind of came full circle and it just still felt, okay, I'm, there's still, you know, I'm still feeling unfulfilled. I'm still feeling mm-hmm. like, yeah, maybe I'm getting the social recognition from others. Maybe I'm cool because I'm buying these shoes. Maybe I'm, 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 I'm uh, somebody that seems like they're wealthy because I'm spending all this money, which in reality I wasn't. I was using a line of credit, like I said. Yeah. And, and living with your parents? I and living with my parents, yeah. Which yeah. saves money, yeah. Of course, yeah. They were paying for everything. Even my phone bill, like every, every possible thing to mm-hmm. be paid for was paid for by them. And I was just pretty much just whatever I was making at the bank, just kind of using all that money. And then also um, the, the line of credit, like I was saying. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't really fulfilling me at that time. And I felt, okay, I need, I need something more. And, and all while this is happening, mm-hmm. I'm experiencing something called depersonalization, which I briefly mentioned on my profile. For anybody mm-hmm. that, that would click on my profile, you can see, but... To go into a little bit of depth with this, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a form of anxiety that kind of stems into, it's like a disassociation pattern that happens. Mm-hmm. So essentially what it is, is it's like you start living in a low resolution film opposed mm-hmm. to uh, a 1080p film. So mm-hmm. like usually life is, you know, when, when you're a kid, it's, it's, it's crisp. Everything is magical. Everything is amazing. Everything is great. And then fresh yeah everything's fresh right yeah and then it just started to get all murky and it felt almost like uh like i was just detached from what was happening like it felt like um everything was just so confusing Mm -hmm. i remember walking down the street and just feeling like is my am i even real like i started to have these very existential questions about even just the nature of my experience like you know where did where did i come from like if i how did this all start? Where did planet Earth come? How did existence start? Like, mm-hmm. where, where's the starting point was my mm-hmm. huge question. And I remember just asking people, like, I remember asking my neighbor, asking my parents, asking um, my aunts and uncles, my friends, mm-hmm. the teachers. I asked the priest at one point and nobody could give me an answer. I'm just like completely confused and thinking, what the heck is going on here? Like, how how did we get here? I, I, I want to know. Yeah. And those are such profound questions that everyone should be asking. And I mean, you shouldn't be feeling bad about it at all because they're existential and really important, you know, for all seekers, which began for you at a much earlier age, which is really something we should applaud you for. And um, I think that's remarkable. So what happens next? Well, I feel I feel like that that comes from maybe maybe the way that I was raised, like mm. because I was given everything physically that I could ever want in terms of you know survival always cover. I never really have to struggle ever in that sense. It was it was more so like an internal thing that I was experiencing, yeah. and um, I think because because everything was great around me. Mm-hmm. But inside, I was still unhappy. Then I think that's what, what made those questions arise because I started to see like, okay, everything is, you know, there's, there's really, like if I look around me, 
there's, mm-hmm. there's really no reason to be upset or to be sad or to feel depressed or to be anxious. But for some reason, I'm just so anxious. Mm-hmm. And there's just, it seems like the world is ending for some reason. But, but in reality, like in the physical situation, there's people out there that, you know, they, they may not see their meal for, for a day or for a week, or there's, there's much, <laughs> there's much more important problems yeah. if I really look yeah. at it, right? Yeah. Um, so like this, this anxiety started, I don't know, it kind of, it started from, it's a little bit blurry, but it started, mm-hmm. it started from a long time ago, like maybe when I was grade six or younger. Was it like peer pressure or, you know, sometimes we feel that to, you know, just fit in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a sense of, it was a sense of needing to fit in. I think that's where it all started. It was Mm -hmm. uh, just feeling like, you know, I want to be one of the cool kids and I want to fit in and I want to be like everybody else. And yeah, um, it just wasn't really happening. So it was, it was like, I was, I was, I was striving for something that, that isn't possible. Like you can't, you can't be liked by everybody. And it's within the social situation. I'm starting to realize this more and more lately that it's, you know, every person is unique. So if I'm, Mm -hmm. if I'm trying to compare myself to another person, then it's, it's futile because everybody is inherently different. That's the beauty of it. But it looked, it looked like a problem before it looked like it was something that was seriously wrong with me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm different from everybody else. And, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta fix myself and there's something really, really, really wrong with my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that brings, you know, my original point more in focus is because, like I said, when we were growing up, we didn't have so much of this, you know, none of the cyberbullying and all of these brands and things like that. Mm -hmm. We were just happy playing outside. So the times have changed. And with that technology has brought in so much of this nuisance. But technology also brought in Sadhguru and YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. like, there's the dichotomy there. Like you, you see how, you know, you have access to everything. And I guess it kind of works hand in hand, because it's yeah. you really, you can access any sort of information that you want on the internet, like, mm-hmm. from a young age, it's you're, you're exposed to uh, violence, to, to sex, to this and that. And there's just a million things that, that are shown to you that it kind of, like he, he, Sadhguru talks about this, how like w- when you're exposed from such a young age, it, it, it takes away the innocence so rapidly. Like, yeah, it's like your, your youth is being stripped away from you because you're being exposed to all these things when like you, like you said, maybe like just 20, 30 years back when, when technology was a little bit less developed and mm-hmm. there weren't phones when you're growing up, yeah. then it's a different story because you're outside playing catch with your friends or you're on the street. Like, I still had that. I had friends mm-hmm. on my street and, and everything. But I think when I was in grade four, mm-hmm. I, I got my first iPod Touch. Nice. And like it, it, from there, it was just, I, I don't think I've stopped using it. Like I was thinking about mm-hmm. this actually a few weeks ago. I don't think I stopped using my device since I received it in grade four. Wow. So that's like many years later, more than 10 years later now. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's been a blessing because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's opened my eyes up to different things. Like it showed me, yes, there are many, there are many different, um, you know, maybe not the best things to expose yourself to online, but then after when I was struggling and I had these questions, like I said, this existential question came through, you know, where am I from? Mm -hmm. Where, where, where do we come from? And once all these things came up, then I think those were the questions that triggered me to find Sadhguru eventually. 
And mm. something about the way he was speaking just captivated me. I was like, okay, he's not, he's not making up. You know, I, I ask everybody else and the, the answer they say is, um, you know, it was, it was God or it was the big bang. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I have, I have two questions after that. I'm like, okay, if it's God, where, like how, who made God? Like if, mm-hmm. like just, there's just pure confusion there. And then also with the big bang too, I'm like, okay, if like, what was before that? Like, it's always that question, like where, where does it start and where does it end? There was also a question of when I die, where do I go? Yeah. And like I said, nobody can answer that. Even, even like going to a priest, it was just, there was, it was always like kind of a, a stop asking that question kind of demeanor to everybody's response. Like, mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's interesting that you have that question, but it's, it's nothing that we can answer. So there's no point in asking it kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And then Sadhguru was just different. Like he, he didn't really shun the question, but he also didn't answer it either. He, yeah. uh, he made me more confused. <laughs> <laughs> he made me absolutely more confused, but mm-hmm. he, he also kind of, I don't know. That was what, what captivated me. The fact that he wasn't just another person kind of giving me some surface level answer or, or kind of pretending like they know the answer and, and then giving me an answer that doesn't really add up in my mind. Like everything that he said really added up logically. So I was like, okay, I, I didn't even think of the whole, oh, he's a guru or, or this or that. I just, when I, when I remember, I remember pulling it up on YouTube and I just saw a man speaking and he was speaking truth to me. And I was like, okay, this, he has something valuable to offer. Mm-hmm. So then I, I embarked upon a journey to to go to uh, to see the Dhyanalinga actually before before taking any sort of program or anything. I, I really wanted to see his temple in, in Coimbatore. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember going and I, uh, I, I don't know, I was just really, really fascinated. I went and I just, I had like a very interesting experience going there. Like I realized when I was sitting in the temple, I realized, okay, I, I don't necessarily need to come to India for me to, to sit with myself and to, you know, sit in yeah. a silent space and to, to, to delve within. It's not necessary to go to India. Like, yes, it's conducive being with Adhyanalinga and, and yes, mm-hmm. maybe I needed to go at that time for me to have that realization. But mm-hmm. now I realize that, you know, I can, I can have the ashram here at home. I don't necessarily have to go to the Dhyanalinga for me to sit still in one place and for me to delve within. And that's the power of initiation, right? When you're initiated into a powerful technology like inner engineering, that mm-hmm. possibility is alive everywhere you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So how did that happen for you? What happened next after you visited Dhyanalinga? And what process started after that? So I only went for 14 days and it's, uh, it's funny, actually, there's, there's another meditator, um, Choi Sauce Yoga, and he, uh, he, he recently made a video about his failed spiritual trip to India and how <laughs> he was supposed to go for Samyama yeah. and um, he ended up, he didn't know that he needed a visa to go. And uh, I actually had a similar experience. The first time that I wanted to go, I was, I was going to go for Mahashivratri uh-huh. and um I didn't, I just, I, I was about to leave the next day and mm-hmm. my mom said to me, she said, Robert, don't you, don't you need a visa to go to India? <laughs> and then I was like, wait, 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 I need a visa to go to India? Like yes. I, I, did, I had no idea. I really actually just, I didn't, cause I, I traveled to a few different places before. Like I went to Peru, I went to uh, Cuba and everything. And, and mm-hmm. these places, I never needed a visa. So from like, I didn't even look that far. I just, 
in my understanding, I was just like, okay, I can just book a ticket and go and that's it. And I was, I was ready. I was like, okay, I'm going to India. And, <laughs> uh, and she broke me the news. And then I, I had to postpone the trip by a couple of days. So I actually did miss Mahashivratri. I ended up going Aww. maybe two, three, four days later. Yeah. And, um, but honestly, I think it happened for a reason. I think mm-hmm. maybe it, it would have been, I think maybe too intense for me at the time. Like, I think I needed to just go and spend some time alone. And cause I, I wanted to, uh, I don't know. I wanted to go, but yeah, I think, it, I think it just worked out the way I needed to when I, when yeah. I look at it. Yeah. There's and, something magical in the timing when it happens, the time is right. It happens when it's supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Every, everything is, is happening for a reason and every, well, not necessarily for a reason, but everything is happening with, with such exact perfect timing in my experience mm-hmm. that, yeah, I, I, there's no point in even looking into that and saying, Oh, I should have went to Mahashivatri or this or that, because you know, it's, it's also in the past that happened. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's something that um, is beyond my control at this point. So when did the initiation for technology of inner engineering happen for you? So what happened was when I was there, mm-hmm. um, I went for 14 days mm-hmm. and I remember I just did different things. I did om chanting there. And um, mm-hmm. I remember just uh, pretty much just sitting with the temples the whole time. And I remember actually I bought inner engineering and, and I, I read it uh, for anybody who's been to the ashram or, or knows mm-hmm. about the structure of the ashram near the Surya Kun Mandapam. There's like some pillars. And I just, I was literally just laying there and I read the book and I would take naps there and, and I basically, like, I had a hotel outside of the ashram, but then I would go and spend the whole day at the ashram. Wow. And um, I don't know, the book was probably the first thing that kind of intrigued me about inner engineering because mm-hmm. um, it was just, the way it was written, it was, it was pretty light to read. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a book with many crazy words that I didn't understand. And, you know, he, he makes it very digestible. He makes it funny. He makes it um, something applicable yeah. as well. There's the different... Um, there's the different sadhanas that you can do within the book. Mm-hmm. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, I liked it. That was the first kind of little step into that direction. With a little techniques and exercises to do, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, I remember when I went back to the hotel, I, I, uh, I just, I don't know. I really wanted to see Sadhguru, but I didn't know if he was there or not. I, mm-hmm. I was just unsure. So I'd, I had this intention and I remember even I had a dream about him oh. and I was just like, oh, I want to see him so bad. Like I was, <laughs> I, I was just, it was burning within me to see him. Yeah. And um, and then I remember one fine day when I was there at the ashram. I remember I I traveled all the way back to the hotel and I got to my room and and I opened my phone. I clicked Safari on my mm-hmm. on my iPhone and and then I saw um, on my email it said. Sadhguru was coming to Toronto, which mm-hmm. is my home city, Toronto, um, in March, March, uh, on March 24th, uh, 2018, which was, I think maybe like a week or something after I was, I was coming back from India. So it just worked out perfectly. I'm like, wow, Sadhguru is coming to my home city. Like I wanted to wow. see him so bad. And, and what a timing, huh? Yeah, it was incredible. This is what I mean by, yeah. you know, I, I, at first I was like, oh, I missed Mahashivratri. But then like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, Sadhguru is coming to, to Toronto. This is like amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, so I, I saw that and it was beautiful because 
at the time I was working at um, I was working at a bank and uh, it was beautiful because they have like they have benefits where you can they have this one section this category where it's uh, it's called wellness spending and what you mm-hmm. can do is if you're doing something for the sake of wellness any sort of um, something you can classify under wellness some sort of program or whatever mm-hmm. it may be I um, I ended up, I just bought, like, immediately, I didn't even think about it. I, I remembered that I had that, and I booked front row tickets for the, for the Mystic Eye. Because I'm like, okay, nice. I want to be, be up close to Sadhguru. Mm-hmm. And then I weaved it at work, so it ended up being, like, a free thing that I got to do. And I remember I went, and um, it was just really surreal seeing him in person. Like, I was kind of, uh, it felt like it wasn't real. I felt like I was dreaming. It, it almost felt like the depersonalization experience, actually. Yeah. And, um, but there was one point where he said, he said, like, come to the ashram for three months for, for guaranteed self-transformation. Uh-huh. And when he said this, he looked like directly in my eyes when he said this. Wow. And it was, uh, it was profound because I felt, you know, yes, there, there are, I think there was like maybe 4,000 people or so, something. Don't quote me on that number, but there was, there was mm-hmm. quite a few people there. Yes. Um, but it just, the timing that the words came out of his mouth and he looked at me, it felt like a personal call. Like it felt like he saw something within me. Mm-hmm. He saw mm-hmm. through me and he just kind of said to me, hey, look, this is what you need right now. Come to the ashram for three months and this will, this will get you what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, it just, it just stirred something within me. I felt... Um, I felt really compelled to do that. I, I thought hard about it and I, I, I thought like, I felt into it. I, I, I kind of calculated everything seeing like, okay, I can afford to go. Yes. But you know, is my family going to be okay with it? I've never been mm-hmm. away from home for more than a week or two, like 14 days, I think was, was the max 14, 15 days, which was my first trip to India. Mm-hmm. And then I'm coming out of nowhere and I'm telling him, Hey, I'm going to be living in India for three months. So I was, mm-hmm. I was really, really afraid. Okay, is my family going to allow me? But then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm also at an age where, yes, I can go. And yeah. this is something that um, I felt I really, really, really needed to do. Mm-hmm. So then, I don't know, I looked into it and I saw that, okay, inner engineering is a prerequisite to the program. Yeah. And then that was how I actually ended up um, being initiated into the inner engineering practice because... I, I wasn't necessarily interested in the program. I liked mm-hmm. the book and everything, but I didn't really look into it too much. I, I honestly just wanted to, you know, my experience at the ashram was amazing. Like I just felt, you know, you get to see all these, all these swamis, all these monks and, mm-hmm. and just the way, the way that people were. I remember encountering one lady when I went there and she <laughs> was near the Surya Kundmandapam and, and I asked her, where's the Dhanalinga? Because that's what I went there for initially. Yes. And I remember she looked at me and just, I could see just a, a, a certain depth of experience in her eyes. Like it felt like I was, um, I don't know, it, it, like looking into this woman's eyes put me into a different level of experience within myself. Wow. And I was just amazed. I was like, I can't even believe there, there are human beings that, that uh, are like this. Like just, I didn't even need to speak with her much, but just I could tell that she saw something profound, that she's experienced something profound just by looking into her eyes. Uh-huh. And this was, again, it's, that was one of the things that stirred a storm within me because it, if, if you're exposed to, you know, you're living in city life your whole life and then all of a sudden you find yourself in this place just mm-hmm. randomly, 
right? Or maybe not randomly, but I find myself in this place and I, I encounter like all this technology, like the Dianalinga and I, I see all yeah. these people and, and and these people seem so ecstatic and so happy and everybody seems so peaceful and serene there. And I was like, okay, I, I, I want to know what these people are doing. Yeah, I want like, to taste this. Yeah, yeah what, what is it that, that this, this woman is seeing that I'm not seeing right now? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just a combination of all those things. And, and specifically when, when Sadhguru said to come to the ashram for three months, I remember just, it, uh, it really called to me and, and then I ended up taking the program in, uh, in April uh, 2018. So I took the inner engineering program a month later. Mm-hmm. It was on the Easter weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, you had a question? And so you stayed at the Indian ashram for three months. What program was that? And what did you do there? Um, were you specifically doing something there? Or just doing some practices and just enjoying the scenery and the energy and the, you know, experiences? Well, I had no idea what I was signing up for. Mm-hmm. Like, I just heard Sadhguru's words come to the ashram for three months. And, and honestly, I just, I signed up for general volunteering. So I just, I just went there. I was like, okay, let me, let me check it out. I have no idea what I'm signing up for, but let yeah. me go. Sadhguru said, try this out. I see a certain depth of wisdom within him. I had mm-hmm. a great experience the first time. So I'm just going to take a limb of faith and, and just see what is it like at the ashram and what, I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what am I going to be doing every day, but I had a gist of it. I saw the schedule and um, I don't know, it just when I got there, it started with just general volunteering. I remember volunteering in the food hall, the Bhiksha mm-hmm. hall and um, volunteering at the, the different temples, the Devi temple and the Janalinga. And mm-hmm. I did different things, but then it started to kick off actually when I remember Sadhguru had a darshan Mm-hmm. and uh, somebody told me, they said, do Devi Seva. For those of you that don't know what Devi Seva is, it's um, it's an 18-day volunteering experience. It's like a, it's like an intensive, essentially, where you're, you're, uh, you, do, you do three days of silence at the beginning, and then you, uh, you volunteer at the temple for, for 15 days, the Linga Bhairavi Temple, and mm-hmm. uh, you're just morning to nighttime, pretty much. You're, you're mm-hmm. doing it, and... Um, it's really intense in my experience. And mm-hmm. when I was doing this, Sadhguru came for the, for the darshan at the, at the Surya Kunt. He was having the darshan. And I remember mm-hmm. he walked through the gates between the Sadhana Hall and the Linga Bhairavi Temple. There was just this, this place that he could enter from. And I remember standing there and he was coming. And I remember just, it felt like such a huge thing was happening. Like I didn't even see him, mm-hmm. but it just, it felt like, the world stopped, like it felt like time stopped, like everything, nothing mattered right in that yeah. moment, but it felt like something huge was about to happen. Yeah. And um, I remember he walked out and it was just two, three of us at the temple and there was people on the other side and there's people gathered around, but specifically in front of the temple, there was just two or three of us that were mm-hmm. doing the seva. And I remember just, I did the namaskaram to him and he, he stopped specifically in front of the three of us and he, uh, he like just bowed down to us. And, and when he did that, it felt like he was honoring the fact that I answered the call. Like it felt Aww. like he he saw, okay, I asked you to come to the ashram for three months and, and you, you listened. And that's like, it was worthy of bowing down. That's that's what I perceived from that, that mm-hmm. uh, interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then from there, it was just... I don't know. I had so many questions. Then really a, a huge storm was stirred in my brain. I said, 
okay, do I want to be a brahmacharya? Do I want to, um, mm-hmm. do I want to stay here for a really long time? Do I want to go home? Do I want to have married life? Do I want to like all these questions that I never really thought about prior to that just started mm-hmm. coming in my mind. And, and this was torture. This was like, <laughs> this was a crazy process because yeah. I, I I was, you know, at the time I, I, I was like, I was speaking with, with somebody that I really liked and mm-hmm. um, it was just, it was such a confusing experience because yeah. I didn't know, okay, am I, you know, is this something that I want to pursue or do I want to, and it wasn't really fair to the person that I was speaking with. So it, it just, there was a part of me that I remember feeling within myself and I, I remember I just, I felt into Asatoma Satkamaya, like the chant Asatoma Satkamaya mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. from untruth to truth. Yes. Um, and I remember feeling like, okay, maybe, maybe it's best for me to, to cut off this relationship for the sake of exploring what I want to do with this, because I'm mm-hmm. just so unsure. And even at a certain point, Sadhguru came and he, this is the first year of Sadhana Pada, he introduced Sadhana Pada. And mm-hmm. I remember I was, uh, again, that I was like, oh my God, okay, I want to do Sadhana Pada. And there was mm-hmm. so, so many different things. And, um, I don't know, from there, it, it kind of just kicked off. Like I took the, the Shunya program and then I took the, the Bhavaspandana program right after. Mm-hmm. And then I did Linga Seva at a certain point. And then I did the 7% Ishanga partnership. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up on, on the day of Guru Purnima, that's when I, I brought home, that's when I um, committed to the 7% partnership. And I also brought yeah. Devi, Devi Gudi home. Oh. And um, I also like, for those of you that have seen my profile or, or see what, you know, I'm currently up to, I also met my coach during this Linga Seva. His mm-hmm. name is Kai Jordan. He's actually an Isha meditator as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, things, you know, I didn't really necessarily understand the significance of bringing baby home, of doing the 7% partnership, finding my coach, this and that. But mm-hmm. it feels like Grace was kind of, even then, was leading me to something that is still unfolding and developing and even the practices like I signed up for Shunya but I'm like oh okay just another practice like just another program this and that yeah <clears throat> and I didn't realize that bless you thank you I I didn't realize that um you know the significance of what these practices would be doing and how they're they're unfolding currently in my life and you know how they're changing my experience and and even just now the pandemic like how they've been helping me yeah and how how they've been allowing me to like right now there's such a chaotic uh, energy and experience going on in the world right now and everything is just crazy right and yeah it it's so beautiful to have a process that is it feels like it's an anchor and no matter what kind of crazy it, or it feels like a vehicle so to speak Sadhguru speaks about this and i didn't understand this until recently but mm-hmm. it feels like I'm in a car or mm-hmm. this, this, this vehicle and no matter what's happening outside, as long as I do my practices every day, it's still putting me forward in a straight line, regardless of any sort of chaos that happens. And I'm able to maintain this sense of direction and this sense of balance and stability, no matter what is happening, no matter how crazy. Um, for instance, like I, I wasn't working mm-hmm. when, uh, when the pandemic stopped and you know mm-hmm. everyone experienced this you're at home and you know you're with your family and everybody's learning like 
you know, how to be home all the time with their family members and, yes. and respect each other. And, you know, it's, it, it was one of those things. And it felt like because of those practices, I was able to not get through it, but I was able to use it as an opportunity to create something much more beautiful for myself. Mm-hmm. Like now I feel mm-hmm. like I have a stable practice. And I was able to actually quit my bag at my, my job at the bank and, Mm -hmm. and pursue my coaching full time. And I was able to, you know, I, I actually recreated my room. Now I have like a, a Davy temple in my room. Like I painted the walls red and I, I have like, you know what I mean? I got rid of my bed. Like I'm sleeping in here ashram style. And, and I have like, you know, it it was, it was like a beautiful time to just reconstruct everything in my life. And it was, Mm -hmm it's still it's still now it's I'm reaping the benefits even now because it's now I have more time to really hone in and focus and and just kind of you know build off of that and and continue to see where it goes yeah so do you sleep on the floor Robert I do sometimes I sleep on the couch but (laughs) sometimes I sleep on on the floor as well that's not... admirable. That's really admirable. Although the room is actually, it's very interesting because it's, it's evolving. Mm-hmm. It's evolving itself. Like I'm feeling now that it was serving me for a period of time, but I think now I want to add a bed again. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. it, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I think I want to, I want to add that again. And I want to, um, you know, I realized that I don't necessarily have to, have the ashram in my house for me to mm-hmm. experience like i was saying you can you can carry the practices mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me yeah <coughs> you can carry the practices within you and mm-hmm. it's not necessary like i don't have to do all these things because it it did cause some disturbance within my home like mm-hmm. bringing out my bed you know my mom paid for it and, yeah. and just various things like various expenses and whatnot so Right. Now, now I'm just looking to see how can I, how can I create, how can I create something where it's balance? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the perfect word. Like I can that's have a, why we created sacred balance podcast. <laughs> it's where it's beautiful. How this is the yeah. topic that's coming up while we're, <laughs> we're on this podcast. So I'm curious, Robert, you know, you brought the goddess home, the Devi home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also did her seva. Yeah. How, was your experience in that? Can you talk a little bit deeper with your connection with the goddess? Yeah, absolutely. So for about five or six years now, I, I've been having this uh, this really intense longing to um, to experience emotion again. Like I, I feel like there was there was a period of time where I kind of closed myself off I experienced a relationship where you know I've, I felt um, you know I, I allowed myself to be vulnerable I, I allowed myself to really open myself up and at the time I didn't necessarily see that the dynamic wasn't you know I, I was com- I was I was trying to commit to something that wasn't um, it wasn't like when you're when you're trying to commit to somebody that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. want to be in a committed relationship then it's you're you're essentially yeah. you're 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 asking. It doesn't fit. Yeah, no, it doesn't work, right? <laughs> and I didn't see this. I was naive at the time. I thought, okay, I'm I'm so in love, and I want to make this work, and we're gonna make <laughs> this happen. And I had this huge mindset around yeah. that. But I don't know. After that experience, I I felt 
you know, I did something terribly wrong. I screwed up the whole relationship and I was putting a hundred percent of, mm-hmm. of the, uh, the blame on myself. I was, I was something that wasn't personal towards me, like her decision to not want a committed relationship. I was making it mean something about me as a person. Mm-hmm. I was making it mean, Oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm, um, you know, there's something wrong with me. There's something seriously wrong with me. And, and mm-hmm. then I kind of shut myself down after that, after that experience. Like I stopped really, you know, I stopped being vulnerable. I stopped uh, mm-hmm. crying completely. Like it was so hard for me to cry. It would, I would only cry in like extreme situations. And, and that really bothered me. I, I felt like I, I want to express my emotions. I want to be able to be in touch with that because it, it doesn't feel healthy to hold everything in and it doesn't feel healthy to, to put myself in a cage and, and to have like this, this like um, mechanical experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Like just like a lock around my heart essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I had that intention and I don't know when I did the Davy save, I I remember just feeling like it it felt like Davy was um, taking like a a battle ram. Like Mm -hmm. it, it felt like she was taking this huge battle ram and she was like, like imagine like this, this wall Mm-hmm. which would be the barriers or the defenses, the limitations that I put up, the barriers that I put up as safety at one time that became the mm-hmm. prison that I'm not, that I was. And to mm-hmm. some extent I'm experiencing that I'm, I'm breaking down currently. And it was like, she was taking a battering ram and she was just smashing it. She was just smashing the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine it's like, maybe even in like a dam, like there's water behind it. And there's, there's some sort of like, it, I could say maybe love or this, this experience of just whatever emotion is behind it. And it felt like she was just making little cracks into the wall. And mm-hmm. she was just like, she was ruthless. Like she was just attacking those defenses. Like she would not let me keep them up. It felt mm-hmm. like, and uh, I remember during the Seva, like I would just go to the washroom and I would just start bawling. I would start crying. Oh. And I don't know. It was just so intense. It felt like mm-hmm. I could literally feel pain in my heart. It felt like my heart was going to explode or something like in my mm-hmm. chest. And um, I don't know when I did the seva. Yeah. Then I just after the seva, I started visiting the temple every day. Like I would, I would go there like literally every single day, and I would like maybe help sweep or I would just mm-hmm. you know spend some time with Davy. And um, even when I was like during my BSP program, I remember just like I would make like a little altar for Davy, like out of just the, like a vastram and and um, uh, the netram and mm-hmm. some of the uh, contents that I got from the Abhishekam, which was, um, they give those nuts. I'm not sure if they're, they're not mm-hmm. ground nuts, but they're, I don't remember exactly what they're called, mm-hmm. but essentially just different items that reminded me of her. I would put them on a, on the cloth, on the Vastaram, and mm-hmm. I would sing the Stuti to that. And I would sing like Bairavi Shatakam and mm-hmm. it just, I don't know. I started to really connect with her in that way. And yeah. and then when I brought Davy home, it was just I remember I was at the ashram for a full month before I went home. Um, and I remember I would, I would sit with Davy even when I was in the volunteer stay, stay area. I would sit with, you know, I would just set up the temple in, in a certain mm-hmm. place. And, and I would just sit with her and uh, it just, the, the connection was getting deeper and deeper. And, and when I got mm-hmm. home, it just, I had this insight, okay, make my room into a Davy temple. And, yeah. and I don't know. She's, she's been guiding me. She's been guiding me to the experiences that I need that have been opening my heart. And, and now, honestly, it, she's showing me too that it's with that first experience, 
I made it something where, you know, I, I, I made it into a reason to, to put defenses up and I made it a reason to, to put, you know, a wall mm-hmm. around myself. But now I'm starting to see that it's, it's okay to allow that to come down. And, and you know, mm-hmm. like, as it's a male, yeah. yeah, it's safe. And, and as a male, like, you're told that, you know, it's not okay to cry and this and that. But it's so funny because, like, you're created with that function, right? Like, yeah. if I wasn't supposed to cry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to have tears. How can I question yeah. <laughs> the very fundamental design? Yes. And it, it just really makes you see, like, this is, this is, like, a product of society. This is a product of, of believing the culture, yeah, and the, the thoughts in your head that aren't even, they're just passing by, like mm-hmm. they're just they could have come from other places which they did you know when I was a little kid I cried no problem but then <laughs> you grow up and you get told oh this is how you're supposed to be if you're a man and you got to be like this and you got to be like that you got to be tough mm-hmm. and then I started to realize like what really is even a man like who who made this characteristic and and who tells me when I am a man and there's just so many questions I'm like it doesn't really even make sense it's it's yeah it's okay to just be me and and that's fine. That's like the whole point. And it's just been a process of, you know, just allowing those limitations to kind of be destroyed. That's where Davy has really helped. It feels like just sitting with her and just, you know, having her around has, um, she's a wonderful company for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, she definitely, she tears down, you know, all the, all the stories that you have and, and just all, all the misconceptions about who you really are as a person and, and, and as the days go on, I'm, I'm starting to feel a deeper and deeper sense of what I'm not mm-hmm. and, and how I'm, I'm not really the thoughts in my head and, and that there's something a little bit deeper to it. You know, I'm, I'm not, entirely, not entirely there. I'm still learning every day, mm-hmm. but, but it, um, it's, been, yeah, it's been a beautiful process so far. One of the things I notice when I sit with Devi, the goddess, is I get really many creative ideas and something new gets born inside of me. Mm. So as you mentioned, you do this coaching now and you don't work at the bank anymore. How do you bring in all this creativity into your coaching? Do you bring in in, and incorporate tools like Isha Kriya into your coaching? Do you inspire people who come to you um, and, you know, to take them to learn the technology of inner engineering. What do you do as a coach? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I actually recently just created a program, which is it's called Fearless Bootcamp. And I'm, I'm taking one person through it. And mm-hmm. um, a requirement for the program was to take Angamardana. And the program is it lasts 48 days. Essentially, it's for the full duration of the program. And it'll have weekly coaching sessions, mm-hmm. which will be related to another sort of modality that I have. There's something called three principles, which really explains the nature of, of the mind and the role of thought and the role of consciousness and, and how, you know, thoughts are just passing in your head. But if you mm-hmm. choose, you know, if you, if you get identified with a thought, then it's like you're, project, you're projecting this thought onto consciousness, onto the screen. And it, mm-hmm. it can look really real. This movie, it can feel like, you know, this, this is, if, if it's something negative, it can feel like, oh my God, I'm in a scary movie. Like, you know, when you watch a movie and you're watching it for a period of time and then after mm-hmm. some time, you may, you may forget that you're even looking at a screen. Like you just get into the movie. Yes. You're enraptured in it. So it's similar to the thoughts and it's similar to how 
you know, you can have a negative thought and it can seem really, really real, but essentially at the end of the day, it's just your thought. Like you're not actually Mm -hmm. experiencing what's, what's there. You're experiencing your idea or your, your thinking about what's actually there. Mm -hmm. And this, this stems into, it's called fearless bootcamp. So it stems into how fear is, is essentially just a thought and it's, Angamardana, I feel, works well with that because Angamardana is such a, a vigorous practice that it mm-hmm. it works on the physical aspect. So while while the participant is doing that physical aspect, I can help them with the mental aspect, with seeing, okay, mm-hmm. this is what it is. And yeah, I'm just playing around with it. In terms of creativity, mm-hmm. like I never, I started doing coaching and I started doing it in a very specific way. Like I started, okay, let me only do a couple sessions mm-hmm. and I didn't really think about Isha practices, but then a few weeks ago, like you said, I don't know, it's during my sadhana and when I sit with Devi or when I'm just mm-hmm. by myself, Yeah, I have ideas of, oh, wow, I can, I can incorporate this and I can make this mm-hmm. like, if I really look at each individual person, like not that program probably wouldn't work for everybody for, but mm-hmm. for each individual person, they need something different. And if you really hear where that person's at, you really understand where the person's coming from and you mm-hmm. have, maybe experience something that the person has experienced mm-hmm. then you can create something beautiful i can say okay like hey listen take this program inner engineering and this is what it will do and i can support you in this way during this process and this yeah. would take about six seven weeks this would take eight weeks whatever whatever the person really needs and whatever they desire and whatever kind of problem mm-hmm. they they would like to overcome it depends mm-hmm. and it's it's more of like a case-by-case basis yeah, and inner engineering is such a complete practice that, uh, you know, it fits just about everybody. And uh, everybody can be inner engineered in a way that they can create the life the way they want to create it. And that's the empowering aspect of it. So speaking about the technology of inner engineering, um, you know, as it gives birth to a process within you that sometimes that you have yet to experience or imagine for yourself. Have you experienced something new born within you that you had never imagined possible while using the technology of inner engineering? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, um, it's given me access to a dimension larger than myself. Mm. So Sadhguru refers to this as, like if you look at the mind, he refers to it as chitta or, or other people may call it anything else. But essentially this this intelligence that isn't personal, like it's a universal intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I was always existing from maybe not when I was a young kid, but for, for many, many years, I was existing solely within the logical mind, solely within the recycled data of my mind. But when I started to do inner engineering very slowly, Mm-hmm. And without me even noticing, it brought me into an experience of gaining access to an intelligence larger than myself. So what that looks like is sometimes I'll just get like an intuition or a creative mm-hmm. thought or an idea, like create my room in a certain mm-hmm. way Yeah. or out of bed now. Like, like it's just, it's, it's really random things. That in clarity. I, that's what I get to. Yeah. It just, it doesn't, it, it. It's so funny because I, I used to think I have to have this crazy, huge, big picture image and it has to be 100% clear in that sense. But I realized mm-hmm. the clarity in my experience comes from I get like an immediate step. And if I just trust in, in that immediate step, then it, 
it translates into something that you actually can't even imagine. So, yeah. for example, I told you I was working at the bank for a period of time, and I actually tried to quit the bank twice. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to my, my manager, and I gave her my resignation letter, and mm-hmm. I said, okay, I, I will be quitting in two weeks' time. And then after one week, I remember having so much fear and so much doubt that I went back to my manager and I begged for my job back. And I said, <laughs> please, please let me keep my job. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Let's rip up that resignation letter and, and, and please just let me stay. And mm-hmm. manager said, okay. And then I worked there for another six, seven months. And then again, I had this, this idea. Okay, let me quit the bank. Yeah. And same thing happened again. I asked for my job back again, <laughs> a second time. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, there was just recently during the pandemic, it, it just, it came up again. And I was like, okay, why is this coming up so many times? Like, yeah, like the bank job's great. Like I can move up. I am super close to home. It, it was two minutes away. Mm-hmm. Everybody's happy with my job because, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to university. I went to university for one year and then I decided, okay, it's not for me. And then that's mm-hmm. when I went traveling. That's when I, I went to Peru and then, and then I went to India after. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, something about it. I just, I kept feeling, okay, quit, 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 quit. Just pursue the coaching full-time. Do this. Invest yourself into this. And this time around, I trusted it and I I went for it. And I I handed in my two weeks and I committed to myself. I said within myself that I'm committing to trusting the unknown. Mm -hmm. Whatever whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't have any idea. Mm-hmm. but I'm okay with just taking this first step because it feels so right to take this step and everything else I will figure out later. Yeah. I'm just going to, step gonna, by step. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take it one step. I don't need to know every single little detail. I'm okay with just, just going for it and trusting that this intelligence larger than myself is going to take care of me and that there's something in store for me that, that maybe I can't even imagine right now. And that's and, what inspires me about you, Robert, is, you know, you're starting this coaching and you're bringing in all these tools from Isha and technology of inner engineering and you're helping people through it. And that is truly, truly something we applaud you for. And it's very inspiring. So you have full <laughs> support from us here. And, thank uh, you. and we really, really applaud you on that. Thank you. Yeah, well, it it's funny because I went to school for psychology and Mm-hmm. and uh it's always been a dream of mine to you know speak on stage and to yeah. uh to help individuals like i i i told you i went to therapy for a period of time and um i remember just being so fascinated i thought i wanted to be a, a psychotherapist and i i thought i wanted to work in an office and you know that was the direction that i thought i was going to head in but then my therapist told me he said no you're going to do something different mm-hmm. he didn't tell me what it was but he said no, this isn't for you. You're going to do something different. And I couldn't have imagined that I would be doing coaching or mm-hmm. I would be learning like the three principles is actually, it's, it's a, it, essentially the, the story of, of the three principles is there was this welder in mm-hmm. Scotland and his name is Sidney Banks. And there was one day where he just had this experience where he saw that his entire experience was being generated by thought. Mm-hmm. And after he had this experience, then he realized, okay, my suffering and my joy, like mm-hmm. 
-hmm. every sort of experience that I'm having is just me experiencing my thought. Mm -hmm. So then he wanted to tell a psychologist and he thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change the the shape of, I'm going to change the way psychology looks and I'm going to help millions of people. And it's going to take two weeks time. And (laughs) (laughs) now like many, many years later, still 40, 50 years later, it's, it's still a mission. Like he's not even here anymore, but there was people that he trained with and, and they're still passing this on. And, but it's just, it's a very profound understanding of the psychology of the human mind. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, you know, I thought I was done with psychology, but it's so funny that it's, it's all coming full circle. Like everything that I desired to do, it's coming full circle and it's coming in a way that I, I could have never imagined in a million years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's just that deeper desire. I think everybody has that deeper desire. Everybody has that potential and it, it all manifests in different ways. Like maybe for me, it's with coaching, psychology, speaking, doing mm-hmm. all these things, maybe with yoga, but with, with other people, maybe it's, maybe they're super talented artists where mm-hmm. maybe they want to pursue that full time. And, and maybe their art is a way of uplifting people's consciousness. Speaking of art, you mm-hmm. know, you're also a musician and play for the sounds of Isha. Mm-hmm. Do you have a fun, cool story to share while playing guitar at an Isha event? Maybe a Sadhguru story. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, um, I can think about that. Like, I don't have any, I don't have any experience really with, uh, like I didn't really play in front of Sadhguru, but I can explain what it's like to mm-hmm. to play with the band. Like I remember we did practices and it, it just, I don't know, there was something so enchanting about playing the music. It felt like there was, it almost felt like I was in a consecrated space when I was yeah. just playing music with the band because it music is, it's so interesting because it has, it's not really like this super logical thing. It's kind of like a free flowing creative energy Mm -hmm. and i think when you mix that with with what we're doing here with the meditation and everything and and there's specific Mm -hmm. songs that the team wanted to to work on when we were doing these songs it just i heard these songs so many times in different programs but then just Mm -hmm. playing them was a different element like it felt it made me feel so alive and it made me feel like um i don't know yeah So one of the best parts, you know, speaking of being alive, is being young and exuberantly alive with tremendous amount of energy. As you get older, you do feel a significant deep dip into the energy levels. Mm -hmm. But luckily, a lot of us have the tools and the technology of inner engineering to get us charged up with the fuel to continuously re-energize ourselves. Mm -hmm. But you being young, having tremendous amount of energy, and being empowered by the technology of inner engineering, how do you show up in life in many aspects, like your family, relationships, career? And where do you see yourself going in, let's say, 5, 10, 15 years with this technology of inner engineering? Well, my, my goal is, like, I want to, I don't know, it's not 100% clear, but I, I want to, I want to have harmonious relationships with everybody that I have. And that's something that I'm working towards currently. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, I realized actually, it's so funny because, you know, if you, if you have all this energy, but you're not using it, then it, it almost, it, it, it has like a different effect. Like I realized that I wasn't really moving my body. And, and, and because of that, there's so much energy getting trapped in my body, so much emotion, like I was saying, and, 
And then recently I learned Angamartana and I've just been, you know, I've been sticking to my sadhana every day and, and moving around a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. and since that, since that process has started, I've been feeling like the emotions are starting to move. Like I've been, you know, just for every little thing, like I see a butterfly, I, I now I start crying. Like Aww. I, I, um, I don't know. I'm watching a video that's like inspiring. I start crying and, and it's just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm allowing myself to kind of have that feminine side show through <laughs> a little bit more and not have to be so rigid and realize that, you know, as, as a human being, even as a, as a male, <laughs> it's okay to be both masculine and feminine and it's okay to have these qualities and, and, yes. um, good to be in balance. Again. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, I don't know. I just want to, I want to help people with that. Like if people are struggling, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to see how, how to help as many people as possible. Like that's been my dream since like when I was a kid, I remember just having this, this feeling like I want to help as many people as I possibly can. And, mm-hmm. and there's no, there's no doubt to me that, that all these tools have showed up for a reason. Like it feels like because yeah. I had that intention when I was younger, now it's, mm-hmm. The way I see it is once you set an intention, the immediate steps and everything that shows up in your immediate life is exactly what is needed. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not at Isha Yoga Center right now, mm-hmm. but I'm currently sitting in the most perfect ashram that I could ever be in in my entire life because that's just how, that's just how it works. Everything that you see as your deepest problems. If, if I, you know, I have a million things that I can see as problems here mm-hmm. in my life right now. But the problems are also the stepping stones. Like that's also the yeah. the very process of mastery. That's the very thing that will take me to where I want to be. And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah. There are possibilities, yeah? Yeah, everything everything is a possibility. And Robert, if you had to describe your inner engineering experience in one word, how would you describe it? Hmm. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. I would say like formless would be the best word. Mm. Wow. So it's pretty expansive, huh? Yeah, it, it yeah. brought me it brought me from form to formless. That's mm. like the, the most beautiful thing that it, that it's done for me. Yeah, that is so deep and profound. Robert, it's such a delight to have you on our Sacred Balance podcast today, and we wish you the very best for the future and have high hopes from you (laughs) that you will create wonderful opportunities, not only for yourself, but also inspire many more young people to use the technology of inner engineering to create a more conscious and loving, wonderful world for next generations to come. Thank you for coming on our show and have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you for, for having me. And yeah, it's been a beautiful experience to, to sit in this space and to allow myself to, you know, express find expression to this journey. And, and, you know, the more that I speak about it, the more that I find, you know, I'm able to fathom what's happening and I'm able to understand it a little bit deeper. So, so thank you for, for holding the space and, and, um, and creating this opportunity for people to share and, you know, and, and for you also 
opening this possibility up to other people. If, if I can inspire somebody for, you know, I'm even one thing that one last thing I want to touch on is, yes, you know, please. one thing that I struggled with within Isha and the program was I always thought like, am I, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a cultural difference as well for some people, right? Like mm-hmm. yes. a lot of people that love Sadhguru are, are, are Indian. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm this, like this Italian, 22 Italian boy. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm like a Catholic and now I'm 22, but at the time I was like, I'm this 20 year old Catholic Italian. And you know, nobody's going to understand. My family's not going to understand. Everybody thinks yeah. I'm in a cult. Everybody thinks like mm-hmm. this is all, you know, just nonsense yeah kind of made up spirituality and and yeah. i don't know the most impactful thing that i think i've realized in this whole journey is that if something feels right with you 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 don't need to ask for permission to to follow your heart like like i i for the longest time i remember just asking many many people like oh what do you think about this like what do you think about Sadhguru? do you think this is mm-hmm. safe this and that but deep within mm-hmm. i knew like there's something mm-hmm. that he's telling me that it's authentic. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to say if there's anybody out there watching the podcast that is feeling any sort of hesitation, if you if you feel something in your heart, follow that and yeah. see where it goes and see for yourself. Like the opinion mm-hmm. of another person is, is simply just another person's opinion. And mm-hmm. it's it, it has no relevance with, you know, what resonates in your heart because one person can find something stupid. But mm-hmm. if you look at different things in the past like you look at maybe the early stages of google or the early stages of apple or something something huge that was created even maybe the early stages of isha per se mm-hmm. and somebody were to tell you yeah this is what it's going to be like and this is the potential it has but you don't see it because it's not in physicality yet like it's not it hasn't mm-hmm. been manifested yet mm-hmm. so if it if it's just something within you if it's a feeling when if you're asking people from the outside for confirmation of that feeling within that maybe you mm-hmm. only feel maybe they don't yeah. feel it yeah. then it doesn't make sense if if there's a feeling then it's 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 best to to trust that feeling and you know run with it and, and see where it goes and at the end of the day you know I, I don't want to regret not following what I wanted to do I don't want to regret thinking oh I was too afraid to to see what this was so I didn't go mm-hmm. into it and and maybe the opportunity was lost and Mm-hmm. and i yeah I, I never really want to live like that and i never want to see anybody else live like that i want to see everybody yeah. taking full strides towards their dream and and mm-hmm. you know if this is something that calls to you i would i would say give it a shot and and see how it goes and if you need support message me if you need support like there's there's many meditators that are willing to speak with you and share the journey and and um yes yeah and we're always, you know, making conscious effort here at Sacred Balance to have diverse, you know, audience and also diverse guests from all walks of life mm-hmm. to, you know, tell their stories of their inner engineering experiences. So uh, this technology of inner engineering is not just for Indian people and Sadhguru is not just for Indian people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, he's for everybody and it is beyond religion and beyond philosophy or ideology and it's for people for all walks of life can benefit from it and that is one of the reasons why we have wide variety of you know guests with diverse you know walks of life coming on the show and talking about their experiences so we thank you robert for bringing your unique story and your perspective of you know 
life and where you are right now. And we really, truly wish you the best for the future. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and it's, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Certainly been our pleasure here at Sacred Balance. Thank you for coming on, Robert. Thank you. No problem. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our show today. You can find out more about Sacred Balance, Technology of Inner Engineering, our guest, and the topics covered from the show notes attached to the series and the episode. We would appreciate your balanced feedback on the ratings in the review section. Until next time, a world full of love, light, and laughter. Let's make it happen.